Well, I'm worn out now after doing that. It's time for retirement. I love what you've done with the pavilion. And I look forward to having s'mores cooked while we're here. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing to be with you today. So I'm dressed appropriately for there. Some of you had a coronary see me walk in. This is what retirement is like. It's so good to be with you this morning, and we are so thankful for you as a church family. Um, actually, we were talking as we were driving in, Sharon and I, and we were saying, we, now we wish, we knew we didn't have PowerPoint available at the pavilion. Now we wish we did, because I wouldn't have done anything about the message, but we'd have popped up pictures of our life now, just so you would get a little bit of a, a sense of what's going on in the Floyd world at this point. But um, it's just a great blessing to be with you. We've, uh, we've been located now in northeast Ohio for almost six months. And um, we are very thankful for what God continues to do in our lives. He's tremendously blessed us over the years. And um, there's a lot of reminiscing that can be done. And that's why, actually, in some ways, I'm glad that I'm not bound to a PowerPoint today because we are going to get into the Word and you can find your way towards the end of the New Testament to Second John and we will get there in a couple of minutes. But uh, some of you may, may be new and you don't know me at all and that's God's blessing in your life. But uh, some of you have had to put up with us for 30 years. Can you believe that? It was 30 years ago this month that we were packing up all of our belongings in Canton, Ohio to move here. And um, I was reminiscing just for quickly with Carl Kresge before the service about our candidating process and some of the things that happened with Carl and Doug Martin and I as we were getting to know each other. And Doug was so excited because the deacons gave Doug and Carl permission to take us out to eat. So some of you remember, you old timers remember back up years ago on Plainfield, there was a, a restaurant called Sheldy's and uh, they were so excited because Doug said, we can order anything we want because the church is paying for this, which was kind of a reminder to me of what I was going to be dealing with for the next few years. But uh, we had a, had a great time. You know, we moved here. The Internet was just getting started and everyone was excited about being connected with CompuServe. Remember that, Carl Kresge? And uh, uh, MS-DOS, we were learning all about that. And, and the Internet was just getting rolling where everyone was starting to get connected so it's been a long time ago. We spent almost half of our life here and definitely more than half of our marriage here. And so we, so we could still keep our citizenship based in Ohio. We had to move back just because it took us a while to work through the passport issues and all of that to get back. And uh, we're so thankful. We are a five-minute walk for Sharon and I. It's a five-minute walk from our front door to Allison and Taylor and our five grandkids' front door. It takes our grandkids about three minutes, and as I was sharing with some of you before, the only change that we would make to our house is to remove the front door and put a revolving door there because it's a blast. They stop by all the time, and we're just so blessed by that. Uh, before we uh, get into the Word, I just want to give you a little update on what's going on in our lives. Uh, I am officially retired in one sense, but any of us serving Christ know that that never ends. Uh, we're always serving him. We're always involved in ministry. And uh, there, was a, there was a real purpose for us 
making the change when we did so that um, our association of churches would be benefited by the new dynamics that we have been working on for the last two or three years uh, to get, go into what is now the Bridge Fellowship, which has a team concept of ministry. And uh, from what I hear, things are going really well with that. Uh, we're still healthy. We're still fired up about God, and so um, our desire was to, in many ways, continue doing what we had been doing, but in a little uh, slower pace, and where uh, when I don't want to, I can just say, no, I'm not going to do that, uh, but also to say, yes, I'm really excited about the opportunity. So actually this past week, we're able to firm up some of the dynamics of that that I can share with you this morning. Um, we gave up our membership with North Park. After almost 30 years, just a a few months ago, we have joined Grace Baptist Church in Canton, Ohio. They were a sister church to the church I pastored before coming here. So as we've returned, there are still people that remember us. We did a lot of fellowships together. We did a lot of ministry uh, uh, things together. And one of the things that I recognized once we moved at the end of the year and I started attending the regional pastors fellowship like they have here in the Grand Rapids area A lot of the churches that when we moved here were very healthy are like a lot of churches. And not just regular Baptist churches, but churches in general in Northeast Ohio are in drastic decline. And so a lot of the things that God has equipped us to do over the years, that God uh, sharpened my gifts in, frankly, because of you as a church. And so many things that we experience together in our ministry, um, we just don't want to let that go. We want to be able to um, capitalize on what God had taught us on those years. Um, this, this church uh, just absolutely revolutionized our lives spiritually. And so I met with the leadership team of Grace Baptist Church actually Tuesday night. And they had asked me, they, they've been very careful not to push us into things. Uh, they've been sharing with the church family in general. We know we're excited that the Floyds are here, at least Sharon. Uh, and uh, we're, we, we don't want to push them into anything. But uh, we've been there almost six months. We see the needs. Uh, our church is growing. Uh, during COVID, they started a building program. They're almost finished with a new auditorium. And uh, it's a lot like North Park was, for those of you that been, were with us back 30 years ago. It's a lot like North Park was probably, we came in 1993, probably about 1996 or 97. We had helped to kind of overcome some of the challenges that the church had had when we first came. And God was starting to do some special things, including the start of the prayer partners ministry and other things here. So I listed, uh, for the most part, five out of the nine things I shared with them as to things that I would be able to help them with, not all of them at once, but as they would want me to help, uh, some things that I could help them with. And um, then also our desire is to start working with some churches in the area that really need revitalization. And I would have to say probably the last five years of my role with the MERBC, that's what I was most uh intricately involved with was that kind of ministry i've already uh we've already been at one church about a half hour from where we live and uh, i'm working with a young pastor i'm coaching him already we're actually going to meet in a couple weeks for breakfast and uh, he's asked me to help their church it's been a uh, actually it was a thriving church actually a, a former classmate of mine in college and seminary retired from there and uh, they're struggling they're in the akron area and so we're helping them with some of the things we did here in in the state uh, what's interesting is another church that is about an hour away from where we live 
Um, the pastor who is there as a church planning pastor was involved in three of our MERBC churches. And his, uh, he's married into a family of a lot of pastors who have served here in our state fellowship. And so uh, he's asked me to come down to do a consultation to help them as they uh, try to uh, reach into a, it's a small community, probably about the size of Sparta, that is at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in southeast Ohio, only about a half hour from where our first pastor was. So I kind of know the area a little bit. And uh, so we're consulting with things like that. And then um, we, uh, because of the addition to the new building, we're actually going to have a ministry center there. And we're going to plan probably quarterly gatherings where we invite churches from all over the area to come in and we'll do some team teaching and coaching in that regard. Another part of what I'm going to be doing is a lot of it will be online, but um, some of you remember that Doug Martin, who was on staff with us and then went with the ABWE, had started, helped, helped us start a ministry called Every Ethne. And it's a, it's a church planting ministry in the United States, but they also recognize the need for revitalization. And actually, I, I hired them a lot to help us with churches here in Michigan. And uh, so the, the, the man who has succeeded Doug in that role actually lives about an hour away from us in northeast Ohio. So we've talked several times and um, they've asked me, would you be willing to consult on our behalf? And they said, you can do as little or as much as you want and travel wherever you want or you can stay at home. And so a lot of the things I did with churches here, I'm going to do in a Zoom format probably all over the country with churches that are going through uh, demographic, psychographic, and internal audit studies. And I will help them to understand what the results of those mean. Maybe on occasion go on site with them and help them. So I really, we appreciate the fact that you've been praying for us. Some of you still pray regularly and let us know that. Uh, some of you have supported us. You want to help us as we go to churches that can't afford uh, the support to even pay an honorarium and uh, for the church and what you've been willing to encourage us with. And so that's uh, kind of a, a summary of where we're at. Um, we have absolutely loved being able to go and watch all five of our grandkids involved in different aspects. They're in a wonderful Christian school about uh, 20 minutes uh, north of where we live. And uh, it's been fun to be involved with them, to be in chapels there and to just experience uh, the uh, growth that they're getting there as well as in the local church. So wanted to give you that update and to kind of summarize uh, where we're at. Now, I just have a question. How many of you were here 30 years ago when we first arrived? Wow. You deserve some kind of a badge or a medal or a support group. How many of you did I do premarital counseling with? Yeah. I was looking at some of you and you look fairly healthy. How many of you have no clue who I am and just say, buddy, preach and get done, will you? How many of you are, yeah, okay. Well, some of you, you know, I know that you mean that, but you, you know who I am as well. When I was uh, giving my final report, uh, first time in 40-some years uh, at a business meeting early this year, I looked at Sharon, we're sitting, they, they had done the auditorium like we do here with tables and chairs for an evening um, an, annual meeting, and I'm sitting there and about three minutes in, I, I, I whispered to Sharon, this is the first time in 44 years where I'm not that guy. <laughs> Standing up, wondering who's going to shoot at you, whether it's with a church family or a group of pastors from all over a state. 
But little did we realize, and I was sharing this with our um, constituents last fall at our last annual meeting, little did we know when, a little over 30 years ago now, in the fall of 1992, when Dr. Wilbert Welch left a voicemail on my answering machine and saying, Brother Floyd, would you please call me? I'd like to talk with you about something. And that something, I, I said to Sharon, he doesn't know me. Why is he calling? And he's left a voicemail on a Saturday night. I said, we don't want some music team coming from Grand Rapids this week or whatever. And she says, you know that's not what he's wanting. It's not something about that. The president of the school doesn't call. There's got to be some other reason. Well, we found out. And it was about North Park Baptist Church. And I tried to just quickly summarize some of the feelings, but we are just so thankful for you. We have learned so much from you. We have grown so much with you. And uh, you continue to build into our lives. I'm thankful. I know some of, some of our friends who have moved away to, uh, to other areas and other ministries are here. And thank you for joining us this morning. And um, we are just grateful for what God has done. I've been reading through the Bible for many years now, and I have found that often you get to the end of the, of the New Testament, and it's around Christmas time when you're doing that, so you just kind of breeze through it, and you don't take time to really look at content like you should. And um, one of the most impacting times for me in seminary was taking uh, the Jahanine epistles from uh, an elderly professor who back in the day when you didn't have sound systems as good as this had a little voice box thing that he would put, put by him. He was mic'd up. He'd sit on a stool. We were afraid he'd kill over and die during a lecture. But he was such a godly man. And he, he opened up the three letters of John at the end of the New Testament in such a wonderful way. And, and he shared with us the reason why these letters are so appropriate and so impacting is because of the man who wrote them. That God led through his spirit to share things that are now uh, included in the eternal word of God. His name is John. We know about him from his gospel and from the other gospel narratives. Um, it's what's so interesting is John became known as the apostle of love, but we know his start was anything but that. Do you remember the nickname that he and his brother had? The sons of, of thunder. And so here is this man who is walking in the shadow of Jesus, and Jesus knows their background. Obviously, he's, he's God, and he chooses them peculiarly for reasons that only he would know at the time, and his life is transformed. I, I, I have contemplated, so what would, if, if they were both happened to go to the same church on occasion during those days of the early church, what was the posture and the preparation if John was coming to your service or Paul? And I think the posture would be a little different because one, you're, it's more like a comfortable old shoe that when you put it on, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot how good this shoe feels. The other is like lacing up uh, for a guy's a wingtip, you know, and it, you, they're, they're, they look nice, but when you walk around and they're, they're kind of clumsy, John is the last living apostle, the one sent out of the twelve that had gone out to help start the church of Jesus Christ, as Christ had commissioned them. And John is at the end of that first century era. And I think it's interesting, when you read the last few letters of the New Testament, there are so many common themes, whether it's John or Peter or Jude, 
Um, they're already talking about apostasy. I mean, the church is still a baby. They're already talking about the end times. And yet, it's the natal time of the church. But they are so burdened. Jude's that way. And there are a lot of parallel ideas. But one thing is very constant. Number one, especially through John, the love of God is powerful. The love of God transforms lives. But it will only transform lives when it is indeed couched in God's truth. Please remember that. We see all kinds of signs and slogans and all kinds of things in our world today that talk about a version of love and frankly a version of truth. I am exhausted from hearing people talk about my truth, your truth, you name it, truth. There's only one truth, and it's God's truth. And we, as a church, have been called, as Paul reminds Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, and the church there, that the church is to be the pillar, the one that upholds, and the ground or the foundation, the one that is based upon the truth. And in a world that is decaying and dying and in chaos, in John's day and in our day, we better make sure that the love of God and the truth of God are synthesized and harmonized together in what we proclaim as a church and how we live our lives. So this little what I call a blog post, a lot of people call this one of the New Testament postcards. Well, if it was in our day, it'd be a blog post. It wouldn't be a book. It would have been something John would have put out there to share with people. This little blog post in Second John is very critical for us to understand today. So I'm going to read the whole passage, just talk through some of the sections in the time that remains. Look on with me, please, I read from Second John. The elder, that's John, to the elect lady, and there's a couple of different opinions on what that means. I agree with many commentators that the elect lady is speaking of a church, not an individual person, because there are other places where the church is talked in the feminine as the bride of Christ. And there are other times where other places John talks about elect lady and Paul does as well. And her children, that would be the congregants, the members of that church, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth and love. Do you get the idea John wants to talk about the truth in this little blog post? I think so. I rejoice greatly, verse 4, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. So what's he talking about here in this first section? John was with Jesus. John heard Jesus often talk and exegete the whole theological premise of what godly love and godly truth is all about. Uh, there was an occasion when the disciples were walking with Jesus and um, someone was trying to trip Jesus up and said, hey, uh, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? 
Well, how did Jesus respond? Well, he kind of put the whole Decalogue together in two parts. And this is what he said. And you can quote it in whatever version you have learned it in. But just say it with me. Here's what he replied. And it's because of what happened there. And he says, from the beginning, I think that's what John's referring to. From the beginning of my walk with Christ, we've known. And from the beginning of the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 6, this is what we've known. And this is it. Say it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Another one includes strength there. And here's the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what he's talking about here. And there's something interesting about the word play in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that my, my prof in seminary reminded us of. And he said, what John is saying that he was commending them because some of them are walking in the truth. And it's not, I think, a comparison of people who are believers and unbelievers, but it's a comparison of people in their sanctification process as a part of the body of Christ because he's already addressed it to the elect lady and her children. So this is he's talking to the church, believers. But what he's saying is we have to recognize that all of us are at some stage in our walk with God. And so some of you here today never heard of the Apostles' Creed. And even doing this is like, what in the world are they doing here today? I thought this was a Baptist church, not some holy roller place. So for you, just learning the ABCs of God, like the books of the Bible, John 3, 16, and other things, that's a stretch. And it's okay. You're learning. You're growing. And we wouldn't expect more out of you than what God does. And then there are others of us that we've been around the block a few times. Some of us more than a half century of time now. That's my case now, 50 years ago. Um, we should still show signs of growth even as our outward tents are decaying. It doesn't mean that our inward soul and our lives should be decaying as well. And so part of the litmus test he's talking about here in the first part of this blog post is the fact that we must make sure that there is evidence every single day that we're not just people of the truth, which is what Baptists are known for, right? Oh, you know, we're proud of that in an arrogant, pharisaical way. And John says you can't do that. It has to be balanced by Christ-like, godly love. And so the word picture is that as you start with your walk with God, it almost, it, the, the word talks about walking uh, in a... Uh, uh, a peripheral kind of a circle, but it's not a circle that just keeps going around and around in the same format, but it would almost be like we drive over to Lake Michigan. We find a lighthouse and a lot of lighthouses have a staircase around the outside. Well, that staircase is just to go around the bottom. What does a staircase do? It spirals around the building all the way to the top. And what John is talking about, Paul talks about the old uh, phrase in Ephesians 5 used to be, see that you walk circumspectly. It's a geometry term. It's, it's see that you walk in a circular motion. But that circular motion isn't about just kind of randomly walking like a dog chasing its tail. But as you walk and you're looking to the Lord and you're allowing his word to impact your life, as you're walking, you're going up a staircase closer and closer to God. That's the word picture there. And so in this first part, he actually is commanding them, make sure that your walk is producing Christ-likeness because it's obviously evident that you are in the truth 
But that truth every day and every moment is being played out with godly love. And so you keep walking and walking. It's kind of like the old song that just came to my mind. Remember Jacob's Ladder? Every round goes higher, higher. And that's the way it is when we walk with God. We should be continuing to walk with God. And then, so here it is as a church family. Here it is as a body. As I'm doing that, and you're doing that, not only are you growing closer to God, guess what? We're going, growing closer to one another. And we're being more effective in the way in which we can impact the people around us. So that's really critically important. And so this, this apostle, who's a veteran servant, shares his heart with him. It's a heartfelt message, and he's sharing it with people that he, he dearly loves. And that's what this guy's doing today. I don't know how many other times I may have an opportunity to share like this. So I just want to say to you that you've done well in a lot of ways over the last 100-some years. And in the time that we've known you over the last 30 years, most of the time we've been on the right track. But we can never rest upon our laurels. We can't at a certain point reach a point where we feel like we've arrived and so we can just kind of put it on cruise control and coast while the others try to catch up with us. But we are all growing. We're all growing at a different rate because of where we are in our our relationship with Christ. We might be babes in Christ. We might be veterans. But we're all moving together in the same way. That's the first part of this blog post. The second part begins in verse 7. And he says there, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess uh, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, if you study the New Testament, you're going to find that principle show up often through every apostle and scripture writer in the New Testament. Because the key issue that separates the church of Jesus Christ from the rest of the isms and ologies in our world today is what do you do with Jesus Christ? And there are some, and I met some on airplanes flying uh, around the world to India and other places that you can talk with them and they'll be glad to talk theology until you get to Christ and you claim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and then you're in trouble. Well, you're not in trouble, but you're going to have a debate or that just kind of ends the discussion. That ended the discussion with the Hindu I sat by as I was going in internally through India several years ago while we were, while we were here at North Park. And uh, it's because that's the defining truth that only separates us from others in their belief systems, but we got to knowledge. That's the defining truth for all eternity. All of eternity rests on what do you do with Jesus? And so John says, I cannot, in this short amount of time that I'm writing, hoping to come and see you in person, I, can't, I cannot let this go. He said, they, uh, there are some who have already, already, said that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver, the Antichrist. So watch yourselves that you may not lose that what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. That was, frankly, a, a jab at the Jews who weren't willing to accept Jesus being the Hamashiach, the Messiah. Uh, if anyone comes to you, and does not bring his, this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. 
So he gives us this command about uh, walking together in the truth, and he commends them because some are doing that. But then he very quickly ends with this caution. And that's what we're going to talk about for the few moments that remain. There are four different things that he lists here that are so significantly important for us today because we're living it. We're living it in our culture and in our world. And it's nothing new. This has been the issue for every church of every age. So don't have a pity party for yourself, North Park, as if, wow, we're, we're facing harder things than any group of believers have ever had. Nope, this has been perpetuated from the first century all the way to now. But the commands and the caution that John gives is just as relevant now as it would have been when he first penned this. The first of the cautions is this. Just recognize that biblical truth exposes apostasy. Don't be shocked when you share the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the doctrine that you're committed to, that you have opposition. Because part of the light of truth is to expose darkness. And what's so sad is we see so many churches, especially in North America right now, in the Western world, that are caving to any opposition. And so they're trying to figure out a way to make, not totally adulterate the message, but to water it in such a way that they can get, get away with it and not face persecution. And so, but he just reminds here, you, you, you have to recognize that truth exposes spiritual apostasy. And for that day, as well as our day, it's what do you do with an incarnate son of God, God who came in the flesh, God who, who lived a sinless, perfect life, who in a public ministry presented himself as the only true Messiah, who was willing to then be our sin bearer going to the cross at Calvary, who triumphantly bore the weight and penalty of our sin, shed his blood as a covering for our sin, was willing to be buried. He died, humanly speaking. He rose again the third day for our justification and to prove that he is the son of God and that everything that he said on Good Friday, including the statement, little statement, but powerful, it is finished, is truly real. And here we are. We preach that and there are going to be some pushing back to say that is not right. I don't believe that. It makes me uncomfortable and we should be thinking in our spirits, even if we don't say it to them personally, good, because all of us have to come to that crisis point in our lives. We recognize we are not, we are not the dis- determiners of our destiny. There is a God who created us in that way. Truth exposes spiritual apostasy. Secondly, verse 8, truth guards spiritual reward. He makes this statement to the believers and he's making it to us as well by extension. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So he's not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but every church in history has gotten to this point. You realize none of the churches that are talked about in the New Testament are, 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 are in existence now. They're no longer there. And if we're not careful here at North Park, we're just a few years and one generation away of that happening with us as well. And so what he's saying is don't risk the reward that comes from being faithful to God by being true to his word and loving him and loving those that he has planted us in this community to reach with the gospel. Don't blur the gospel message and therefore blur the, the, the glowing aspect of the reward. 
don't apostatize that and lose any opportunity for you individually or the church to be rewarded by God because of your faithfulness and because of the power of the gospel. That's a critical thing for us to appreciate in this day and age. And then he says, uh, truth reveals true spiritual relationship. This is an interesting statement he makes in verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now go back and just look at that first little phrase there in verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead. Here's what was going on during John's day. There were, there were so-called super apostles that were saying, don't listen to John, don't listen to Paul. Uh, their message is kind of half-baked and only half of the message. We have received the vision from God. And what they would do is they would literally find out where John and Paul were going and they try to get there a few days early. They'd run ahead. That's literally what it means. They would run ahead and then they would try to share their perverted teaching and therefore distort the thinking of some people before John or Paul would ever arrive and share the truth. And that's what John is saying here. There are going to be some that are going to try to run ahead of you or cut you off at the pass and try to distort what God has called you to share. And what he says is, don't, don't, be, don't be annoyed by that. It's going to happen. You just keep preaching the truth. And then finally, he says in verse 10, truth defines appropriate fellowship. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And there have been some in the past that have kind of um, uh, looked at this as, you know, like if I have a cultist come to my door, I'm going to just slam the door in their face. I'm going to say, get away from here. Or I'm going to say, you know, uh, you know I, uh, I'm not going to let you in my house, but I'll, I'll sit out on the porch with you or something like that. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about public assemblies. Remember that uh, in, in that era... Everyone's meeting in houses. There were no church buildings like we have here. They didn't have pavilions like we have at Four Mile. And so what he's saying is when you're gathering officially as a body of believers, don't allow one of these people who run ahead of the game to have an audience or to have a platform. Make sure that you do represent Jesus Christ and share the truth of the word of God and the gospel with them, but don't give them a hearing, meaning don't elevate them so that that has some implications for us like who we promote in terms of their teaching and sometimes we will we will be confident of someone in what they've taught and then as years go on they kind of start beginning to distort the true message of the gospel so we have to give disclaimers about well i know their early works were were, were really good they were really sound but now they've they've for whatever reason gone down a, a rabbit trail and and we can't endorse that and sometimes that comes even to sharing a public platform with them in a conference or in a local church that's what it's talking about and it's talking about the fact that what you don't want because we are so fervent in sharing the truth of god with the love of god that somehow it appears that we're in complicit in the error that's being promoted so that's kind of a summary of this little blog post. He closes this way. He says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And here we are. I hope you're filled with joy right now. I know Sharon and I are. 
And I hope that as we reflect back down memory lane, as we get a chance to share a little bit, that it'll bring a lot of joy to our hearts. Uh, We've gone through a lot of wonderful things together. We've been through some hard times together as well. Some very disappointing times as we've been saddened by some who have gone down one of those rabbit trails. We've had some heartaches and hardships. And there are beloved ones that we've had to go uh, walk alongside of as they've suffered. And and some that have been promoted to glory. And we've been through all of that. But we're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. And our joy comes from Jesus Christ. Our joy comes from the gospel. I'm going to close this way. I heard uh, several years ago, Mark Dever, who's a part of Nine Mark, share at a conference. And he talked about grace and truth. And here's how he compared it. And I think it's an appropriate way for us to understand, kind of putting together for us today, how we leave here and how we live for God. He said, imagine that when you're done today, uh, you may not know the area well. And you decided, well, you know, Ken just talked about a lighthouse. So let's go over and look at a lighthouse along the lake. And you don't know exactly how to get there. So... Uh, you, you just-